Hello, and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage podcast. My name is JD, and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com about intimacy in all areas of marriage. Today, we're going to talk about a question that I've been getting fairly recently lately. You know, people want to know uh, how they can feel connected during sex. In fact, it's been in my backlog of topics since December and has received the most votes from our supporters uh, on our forum about what they'd like to see a post or a podcast about. So today we're going to talk about it, about how you can feel more connected during sex. And I think you might be surprised by what I have to say. So stay tuned. So what does it mean to feel connected during sex? For many spouses, when their husband or wife says, I don't feel connected during sex, they get quite confused. You know, they're thinking, I'm literally inside of you or you are literally inside of me. How can we be any more connected? But of course, they're not talking about a physical connection, but rather an emotional, mental or spiritual connection. And unfortunately, I don't think that's a problem that's actually solvable as is. I don't think there's any such thing as an emotional, mental, or spiritual connection. Rather, I think we make those things up to express how we feel, but I don't think they actually exist. Rather, I think we should be looking at what's behind those feelings and then try and solve the problem of not feeling connected. So let's start by taking a step back and let's talk and not talk about sex for a moment. Let's talk about church instead. Uh, If you talk to people after a church service about their experience, uh, it's amazing the wide variety of responses you'll get. In the same service, you can have one person who, you know, really felt God's presence and another one who felt like uh, God wasn't here today. Uh, Some will say the sermon was directly from God and others will say it lacked inspiration from God. Some will say that the music was heavenly. Others will say that the music was too much like a concert or an elevator. And some that the prayers were heartfelt and powerful, and others that the prayers were long and boring. And how can people who all listen to the same thing in the same room at the same time have so many different opinions about the service and its connection to God? And the simple answer, I think, can be found in Scripture. You know, Joshua 1 verse 9 says, you know, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For I, for the Lord your God is with you for wherever you go. And then in Malachi 3 verse 6a, we have, for I, the Lord, do not change. And the point I'm trying to make is that God is always there and God is unchanging. He was in the room during the service and all the other services. He was with you in the auditorium. He's with you in the hallway, in the parking lot, the bathroom, and the bedroom. In short, God is always there, always focused 100% on you, always loving, always caring, always calling you, hoping for your attention. So what then is what people call a spiritual connection? You know, some people think that we have this tenuous thing called a soul, and that somehow how that soul connects to God on some spiritual level. level. However, I, I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think that the Bible is clear that we don't have a soul, we are a soul. If you want to know more of my thoughts on that topic, then uh, there's a link to a post in the show notes for you. Um, but I think there's nothing magical about what people call a spiritual connection. Rather, I think it's simply that our expectations of what a connection should be like is being met. You know, for some, they feel connected when the sermon is passionate and exciting and when the pastor is yelling and has this, you know, certain cadence to his voice and is stomping around the stage, thumping his Bible. You know, they hear that sermon and they feel connected. 
for others, they like a sermon that's quiet and contemplative and thought-provoking, you know, one that gives pauses to give you a chance to reflect. You know, it lets out some new tidbits of knowledge that give context and understanding to your walk with God. Uh, you know, they hear that and then they feel connected. But you'll likely never have these two people feeling connected about the same service. You know, God was always there, but their expectations of what that connection feels like weren't met. And at the same can be said for worship styles, for types of music, for orders of worship, and for prayers. You know, during prayer, some people feel connected when they feel their needs are being prayed for. So they hear a con- congregational prayer that says something like, you know, Lord, I know some people here are hurting, lift them up. And, you know, if they're hurting and they feel heard, they feel connected. For others, they like prayers that make them feel repentant and forgiven. You know, that sense of accountability helps them feel connected, like God is watching over them and pushing them to grow. But the sermon, the music, the prayers, they're they're all the same. You know, it's the individual that has their expectations met or not. So then, what about feeling connected in the bedroom? I think it's much the same way. Some believe that our souls are overlapping or reconnecting, but that's not a Bible-based belief. Rather, it's actually based on Plato's teachings from a play called The Symposium. I think the truth is, uh, as above, that we have our preferences that inform our expectations. We have the things that we like that make us feel connected. And yes, now we're dealing with humans on both sides so that their focus can drift, and they may be more or less enthusiastic at each session, but the basic premise is still the same. You know, we have expectations that need to be met in order for us to feel connected. I think a lot of the time we don't know what our expectations are. You know, do you know what makes you feel connected in the bedroom? I asked this on Instagram and Facebook uh, a while back, and quite a few people shared their answers. Some of them were uh, eye can- contact, uh, kissing, caresses, hearing your spouse's voice during sex, or the language that they use, or the words that they use, you know, being face to face, more foreplay, talking before sex, uh, when their spouse reads their body language and responds. So, in other words, when they don't have to talk. Uh, you know, all day or non sexual interactions, you know, some said prayer before sex. And some of these answers overlapped, having similar or even the same expectations. Other ones were quite different and sometimes even mutually exclusive. Like, for example, like I said, there's one person who says, you know, speaking and talking and sharing is important to them. And the other one wants everything to happen perfectly without having to talk about it. And that's okay. You know, these are personal preferences. And the problem we get into is when people start to think that these are principles rather than preferences. And when our spouse, that our spouse should know our preferences because they are universal truths. When we judge others for having different preferences, or when we think our spouse is being selfish or crude or animalistic or perverted, if our preferences don't get met every time you have sex, or if they have different preferences than we do. And you might laugh at that idea, but I can tell you that with absolute certainty, there are men and women out there who believe that any sexual act besides missionary position face-to-face is not fit for married couples. And sometimes they're mad at me for suggesting otherwise. Sometimes their spouses email me uh, basically in tears because they don't know how to make their spouse see any differently. And they're frankly hurt by their spouse's lack of vulnerability, their unwillingness to step out of their own comfort zone with them. 
Uh, on the other hand, there are men and women who feel their strongest connection when they or their spouse is, you know, face down, tied, spread eagle while blindfolded, and they're using multiple erogenous zones and techniques at the same time to bring about a variety of sensations, culminating in massive orgasms. But sometimes they or their spouses email me too, saying that sometimes it would be nice just to hold each other and have some slow romantic sex and asking how to bring that up with her husband or wife. I am not saying that one is better than the other or that both are extremes and the truth is somehow in the middle. All I'm saying is that we need to recognize that these are preferences. They are how we feel connected. There's no actual connection other than the physical connection of you touching them. You know, there's merely two people focusing on each other, both with their own set of expectations about what a good, connected sex looks and feels like. So, why is it important that connection is misunderstood? Uh, I think it's because it changes that connection from something that's magical to something that we can actually make practical changes to affect. And as a coach, this is very important to me. You know, when we believe the things like spiritual connections or emotional connections, then it's not based in a real world. It's not something that we can do anything about. For example, when we feel God is not present, you know, we're we're lost. You know, what can we do to get his attention if he chooses to withhold it? You know, absolutely nothing. You know, look at some of David's Psalms and see the despair that sets in when he believes God isn't paying attention. You know, in Psalm 13, he writes, you know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You know, how long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? You know, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? You know, when you believe that that connection is some mystical force or because the other person isn't focusing on their side of the connection, then you have little hope. You know, what can you do? Especially if you don't know what causes that connection. But if you recognize that that, you know, quote unquote connection is merely an abstracted concept of us having undisclosed expectations that either get met or don't, and now it's now partially our responsibility to feel connected. You know, if you don't tell your spouse, I feel connected when this happens, then how can they be expected to meet that expectation? However, if you accept that these are just your preferences, not universal truths or some immeasurable, unknowable force that connects some mystical part of your being, then you can do something about it. You can tell your spouse, you know, I need XYZ to feel connected. You can ask them what they need to feel connected. You can recognize that those two things might be mutually exclusive. So it might be that you get to feel connected this time and they get to feel connected next time. But you could also realize that your preferences are just preferences and preferences can change. They can grow and they can expand. You know, they can learn to enjoy new situations, new activities, new expressions. Now, of course, we like the things we know we like. We prefer them. We might even think that we don't like the things that we've never tried. You know, my children all through went through this phase. You know, up until a month or less ago, as soon as he heard that it was time to eat dinner, my five-year-old would immediately start screaming, I don't want supper. You know, why? Because it's probably not going to be pizza, which is his favorite food right now. Uh, the funny times are when it does turn out to be pizza, and then he gets this embarrassed look on his face because he just assumed it was going to be something that he didn't want. You know, either way, he still has to eat dinner, and he usually eats it. <laughs> it's it, because it's not bad; it's just not pizza. 
And sometimes he's surprised by how much he likes it. He, you know, he gets his look on his face at that first bite. It turns to us and like with astonishment, astonishment says, you know, this is actually good. And uh, he's shocked because, you know, it's not pizza, but it's still good. You know, each time we tell him that, that kind of same mantra, you know, it's good to try new things. And in the last few weeks, he's started to outgrow this and learn that new things are sometimes good. You know, but I wonder how many spouses say, no, I don't want to try that when it comes to any sexual activities because it's not their favorite and they can't even conceive of liking something else. I wonder how many have been taught explicitly or implicitly that there's a proper way to have sex and that makes them feel connected where other ways they feel aren't valid. And I wonder how many couples are missing out on really good sexual experiences that would benefit their marriage simply because they're trying to grasp onto a connection that they believe exists, something that they can't change, that somehow spiritual or magical or just it just is you know i wonder how many refuse to bless their spouses in a way that would make their spouse feel connected because they refuse to have sex when they themselves don't feel as connected you know so how do you improve this feeling of connection during sex you know at first i think just recognizing that it's just a feeling it's not reality uh talk with your spouse about what generates that feeling in you and then ask them what generates that feeling in them. Then together craft experiences where those expectations and preferences are met, you know, either for one of you or both, but also don't be afraid to experiment, you know, with experiences where there's a chance that neither of you will be, you know, might be surprised to find that a new method of feeling connected, you know, either way you'll learn something new about each other and that knowing and being known can help produce those same feelings. So if you've been stuck in a rut for a long time, maybe try something like our spice jar, which I designed to help couples shake things up. And yeah, you'll likely have a few encounters where both of you say, this didn't work for me, but you might find some new ones that spark something in you. You know, we also have a large printable worksheet called our Sexploration list, which I hear almost every day from somebody who says, you know, it's completely opened up their uh, repertoire of things that they can do. And they have a lot of fun going through it. In fact, it, it, it's so large that it usually takes them quite a while to get through the whole thing. Uh, but that's half the fun. Uh, or if you feel that you need a more kind of strategic and focused approach to get things moving, uh, check out our marriage coaching uh, to really give your marriage a push in the right direction. In the meantime, keep exploring. Remember, it's good to try new things. And if you like our podcast, you know, I'd love it if you leave a review. Uh, people ask us all the time who just found us, you know, how come I didn't find you sooner? How come nobody knows about this? And the main reason is because nobody's telling anybody about it. Unfortunately, we still have this huge culture of shame and silence regarding sex in Christianity. And uh, I'm hoping that we can change that, but I need some help. So... If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you listen on, iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Spotify or whatever. And uh, most of them you can do it anonymously, I think, or people won't recognize your username. Or if you'd like to support us directly, you know, you can visit our supporters page. Um, you get access to our forum. You get to see all the questions come in from our anonymous have a question page. And you get to vote on what topic I'm going to tackle next. So, 
Anyways, links to everything I talked about are in the show notes. Uh, you can check out our blog at uncoveringintimacy.com. That's it for now. See ya.